go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 10. We'll continue our study of the division of mankind. That's what we're seeing as we get into chapters 10 and 11. In fact, tonight, we're going to go through two chapters. You go, good gracious, how are we going to go through two chapters? Well, a lot of it's names and things, and we'll look at some of the highlights, and we'll see that. Noah and his family have come off the ark. Uh, and from Noah's three sons, all the nations of the world will come as they spread throughout the world. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see Nimrod. We'll see that guy. He's the mighty hunter. We'll see the Tower of Babel. We'll see Abraham, uh, or a man named Abram that we come to know as Abraham. And God commanded Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And this evening, once again, we're going to see the wickedness of man, because man rebels against God's command. In fact, it just doesn't matter whatever God tells us to do. We're not going to do it. That's part of the problem. As we see these two chapters, we're not only going to see where the nations and the languages came from, but we're going to meet Abraham, which I call him the man of faith. And there's some great things there. We'll just just touch on that. And then, of course, in the next, beginning in chapter 12, really is a change in the whole rest of the Bible. And we'll talk about it in the next week or two as we get to that. May we gain from our study and may we be grounded in the truths of what we believe. Let's start with a prayer and then we'll get into the passage. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for Jesus Christ and eternal life as a gift. And we thank you for the Bible, how perfect it is. We thank you for the Old Testament, especially the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And Lord, tonight as we see how they spread out, how they from the, from the sons of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and what happened and how, how, who these people are. And, Lord, we also begin to see the, the great man Abram and uh, how it all fits together there. Lord, we just ask you that you teach us tonight. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two different times over the years, I've had the privilege of going with Campus Crusade to Mexico for a mission trip. And we had great time, and, and I saw a lot of good things happen there. We went to a city called Monclova one year and, and showed the Jesus film and helped them build a church. But the problem we had there was, of course, the language. Uh, there was a few in the troop who could speak Spanish, but as a whole, most of us had a hard time communicating because of the language barrier. And we could talk, look at people and say things and they'd understand, but just as far as actually knowing what people were saying. In the gatherings, the pastor of the church in Monclova, he would proclaim the message because none of us could really do that. The language was a barrier. And don't you wish that sometimes you could just speak all other languages, like if you want to speak Spanish or German or Russian or French or whatever, you know, you could do it. And sometimes people say, I wonder why there are all these different languages. Why does mankind speak all these different ways in different dialects? There's estimated over 3,000 different languages and dialects. Some are more difficult than others. Uh, when somebody comes to the United States, you know, you realize that English is a hard language. And talk to people about that. It's hard because there's a lot of things about English that just don't match up. Think about it. There's, there's no egg in eggplant, and there's no pine in pineapple, and there's no ham in hamburger. And we park on a driveway, and we drive on a parkway, and we ship by a truck, and we send cargo by a ship. And... How can a slim chance and a fat chance be the same thing? In our language, a house burns up as it burns down, and we fill in a form as we fill it out. So who knows? And do you know anybody you would touch with a 10-foot pole? I mean, who knows, you know? Languages sometimes are barriers. And this evening, we want to think about the different languages, and we want to see how these things fit together. Let me remind you of the book of Genesis when you think about it, there's two big sections, chapters 1 through 11, four key events. We see the creation, the fall, the flood, and the division. And then starting in chapter 12 through 50, there are four key people, beginning Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph. And that's so powerful because we've already seen the creation. We've seen the fall. We've seen the flood. Now we're seeing the division from the sons of Noah as they spread out. Starting next time, well, even tonight, we'll touch, about, uh, we'll touch on the guy named Abram, which is really Abraham. We'll see him, and we'll start with him. But there's from Abraham that goes to Isaac, and from Isaac to Jacob, and from Jacob down to Joseph. So that's how the book of Genesis fits together. We're at the end of the first section. We're seeing the division of the nations. We meet Abraham and, and, and those four key people. 
<clears throat> from the sons of Noah, the whole rest of the world, the world developed and spread. Last time is a sad thing because we saw Noah comes off and he gets drunk and he's dishonored by him. And we don't even know what all happened there. And we looked at that and we saw one key thing there is that the sons, basically Ham's son, Canaan, was cursed. And we talked about what does all that mean? How does all that fit? Well, we'll talk about it. Let me break down the passage for you. Let me just show you how this fits. Tonight we're going to look at chapters 10 and 11, and we'll go very quickly through it. In the first five verses, we see the descendants of Japheth, and then 6 through 21, Ham and Nimrod. 22 through 32 is Shem. That's the big three. We get into chapter 11. In the first nine verses, we'll talk a little bit about the Tower of Babel, what happened there. We see rebellion of man. And then in verses 10 through 32, the details on Shem and Abraham get a little flow on that. We'll see how that fits together. Let's look at chapter 10. Look at verse 1. It says, Now these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and the sons who were born to them after the flood. So he says, we're going to give you the generations. And, and as you think about it, the three guys are here. There's Shem, who best we could tell, seemed to move toward the east. Ham moved to the south and the east, southeast. And then Japheth moved to the north and the west, or northwest. So we'll see that they move out and spread that way. As we quickly go through the list, we'll see some individuals, we'll see some people groups, and we'll see some cities. Irving Jensen, in his commentary on the book of Genesis, says, The intention of the record is to identify the geographical distribution of the people and the nations that came from the sons of Noah. So that's sort of what we're seeing there. Now realize what they were supposed to do. They were to spread because that was God's command. But what they actually did, it, it, we'll see what they actually did and why they spread because it was God's actions. Let's start first with Japheth. We're not, we're not going to go through a lot of details, but look at verse 2. Now the sons of Japheth were, and they list these names, Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan and Tubal and Meshach and Terrace, and then they start listing, and they'll say the sons of Gomer were, and the sons of Javan were, and they begin to list this. Uh, some people, as they look through this, they try to figure out who all these people are. Some say that they're the people who spread toward Europe, and that Gomer may be Germany, and Magog is probably Russia, because as you look at some things, you'll see that as you go through that. Notice verse 5. From these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into the nations. So they begin to spread out. We don't have a whole lot of detail there. The next person is then Ham. And look what's listed there. It says, Now the sons of Ham were Cush and Mizraim and Put and Canaan. Now that name rings a bell, doesn't it? That's Ham. That's Ham, and he's, he's got these sons, Cush and Mizraim and Put and Canaan. Now, let me show you this. The best we can tell is Cush actually was Ethiopia. Mizraim went down to Egypt. We'll see those that became the Egyptian people. Put went in the area of Libya. And Canaan went to what we call Israel and Jordan, that part of the world. And so the Canaanites, when you hear people talk about, you know, they were talking about we're going to go to the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan is where Canaan and his families, his descendants, uh, basically went. Look at verse 8 because we want to meet one famous one. Verse 8, now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. Now when you hear of Nimrod, you, you always hear about Nimrod the mighty hunter, something like that. Uh, Verse 9, it says, He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, when you see that, it could mean two different things about being before the Lord. Some, it could mean great in God's eyes. And some people say that Nimrod was a great hunter and he was great in God's eyes. He was a great leader, a great man. Others say it's a negative statement. It means great before the Lord in the face of the Lord. And it gives an idea of rebellion. Nobody knows for sure. But if you study, and over a period of time as you look through where he went, the things that he did, it seems to indicate that sometimes maybe it was a, 
It was a negative aspect, that being great before the Lord then was not meaning he's a great man before God, but he was a negative one. Look at the places that he started. Look at verse 10. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Babel, that's the same as Babylon, and Erach, and then he goes and names a few other places. And then look at verse 11. From that land he went forth into Assyria, and he built Nineveh. And Rabathashir and Caleb, so he begins, and, and between Nineveh, he starts listing this. Do you realize that this guy, notice, he is the one that started the city of Nineveh. It's one of the oldest cities in the world. He also started the city of Babylon and the Assyrian Empire. When the Assyrian Empire was there, the capital was Nineveh. The Babylonian Empire, the capital was Babylon. They became known as the, the empires that really were, were negative in the world. And, uh, and when you think of the word Babel or Babylon, that's where the Tower of Babel was. And so some people say that when you see Nimrod, <clears throat> when you see Nimrod, there's a negative aspect, even though he was great before the Lord. I want you to look down a little bit further to verse 15. Canaan became the father of, and it's going to list these people. Now, you remember who the Canaanites were? Remember there was a curse already. Cursed be to Canaan. We already saw that when Noah woke up from what, whatever happened, and he didn't curse his son Ham, he cursed the his Ham's son, Canaan, and their descendants. We want to see who those people are. Look at verse 15. Canaan became the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and Heath, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Gerashite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Ardivite. And then it just starts listing all these people. And it says, and the families of the Canaanites who were spread abroad. The territory of Canaan extended from Sidon as you go to Gear and as far as Gaza, Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, you've heard of those names, Sodom and Gomorrah and Admud and Zeboim. So what we find is a listing of these people of the Canaanites. And it's the reason that they're listed more than some of the others is they're going to be the ones later on that we're going to see what was the cursing of the Canaanites. These people lived in what we call Israel, in that land, the land of Canaan, the promised land. Um, uh, verse 19 talks about the area of the territory. And then verse 20, he goes in and sort of sums it up and says, These are the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, by their nations. Now, we've seen two sons. Let's look at the third one, and it's Shem. Now, when you hear Shem, we already know that <clears throat> that um, the first son sort of went toward the European area. We see the second son went toward the uh, a little, you know, to, to the land of Canaan. We're going to find Shem. And most people, when you start thinking about Shem, who is this guy? Look at verse 21. Also to Shem, the father, all the children of Eber. Now, the reason I wanted to start with that is because Eber seems to be the root word for the name Hebrew. And so here are maybe from Shem, of course, is going to come... Uh, Abram, Abraham, the Jews. So the Jewish people are going to come from this man, from uh, Shem. And that's what we're going to see. It's pretty powerful. Notice verse 25. I, we're not going to look at all the names. I want you to pick out, pick out some big ones. Two sons were born to Eber. The name of one was Peleg. For in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Jokthan. Now, there's a statement here that nobody knows what it means. It says, in the days of these two guys, Eber had two sons, Peleg and Jokthan. It says, in the days of Peleg, the earth was divided. What in the world does that mean? Well, there's a, several things that people think about. 
it means, some people say when it said the earth was divided, that the people spread. Well, they could have said, if they want, he could have written, if they wanted to mean the people spread, he could have said the people spread. So the earth divided, it seems like it means something unique. The second thing is, some believe this was the division of the continents. That after the flood and after uh, all of this that happened and they came off, then the earth began to divide into the continents that we have now. Because some people say, how else would people groups get all over the world in that day and time and spread out all over the world? So some say that after the flood, there was sort of like one big continent and then everything spread. There's, there's a theory on that. The third thing was that it says there's a contrast now between believer and unbeliever. And I don't hold to the third one because there's always been the believer, the unbeliever. So I don't think that what, what it means. Nobody knows for sure. It could mean the division of people. It could mean the division of, of the whole world. Who knows? But I want you to understand that in this, as we look at it, this this man named Joktan, we're just going to see a list of him, and that's going to be the rest of him. But the guy Peleg is where we're going to see uh, Abraham's going to come through him. In this passage, he ends with a summary, verse 32, and says this, These are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, by their nations, and out of these nations were separated on earth after the flood. Now what you can do in your own time, if you want to, you can look at these names. You can see how they fit together. You can get a concordance and you can see where they're listed in other places in the Bible to see who they are. Of course, when you see the Canaanites and you see people like the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Gerusites and the Amorites, you know those are the people that were living in what we call the land of Canaan. Those were the people that were there when Joshua led the nation of Israel into the land to conquer the land. These were the people groups living in that land. That's part of the curse, we believe. The curse on Canaan was that they would be wicked people, and they were. They would not believe in, in, the, in the Messiah, and they didn't. And they were destroyed and subjugated when the nation of Israel took the land. That's the best that we can see. So here's the summary. So sometime you can go over it, and you can look at the fact, and you can see, okay, there was... There was Japheth, and everybody spread out one way. There was Ham, and they spread out another way. And there was Shem, and they spread out another way. And that's how they fit together. There are all kind of questions on how did the races come? How did all this work? Why some people look this way? Some people look this way. How could these people get over here and these people get over here? Nobody knows exactly how all that happened. But they spread out from Noah and his three sons, those families. Now, as we move into chapter 11, there are two main things we want to see. One is the rebellion of man. And this is at the Tower of Babel. And the second thing is we're going to get a background and introduction of Abram, or Abraham, the chosen people. I want you to understand something. Beginning at chapter 12 in the Bible, Genesis chapter 12 is a change from that point on in the whole Bible. From Genesis 1 through 11, God deals with mankind as a whole. We call them the Gentiles, the age of the Gentiles, chapters 1 through 11. Beginning in chapter 12 of Genesis, all the rest of the way, God is dealing with a particular people group. And that people group of the Jewish people, beginning with Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, and on down, as we see, all the way to Saul, to David, to Solomon, all the way up to Jesus. And even on past then, God has his people. They will always be his people. And so, really, a division happens in the Bible in Genesis chapter 12. And when you start thinking about these Jewish people that God chose, we'd say he, he chose these people. He calls them his chosen people. Now, I want you to understand this. When we say he chose the nation of Israel, that choice is not for salvation. That choice is for service. Every Jewish person, in order to be saved, had to have by faith believe in the coming Messiah. Every Gentile, in order to be saved, 
by faith had to believe in the Messiah. So when we say that God chose the nation of Israel, the people group, it does not mean He chose them for salvation. He chose them for service. In fact, if you do a study in the Scripture and continue to dig where you'll see about choosing and picking and pulling, you will find that it's for service. Choosing for service. Do some studies. Keep digging it because that's kind of a controversial type issue. But what we see is the nation of Israel, all whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever doesn't believe doesn't have eternal life, but they're still God's chosen people. They are God's chosen people today. Most Jewish people do not believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah or Savior. Some do. Most do not. That doesn't mean they're not His chosen people, but the choosing was not for salvation. The choosing was for service. He has chosen them. This people group are the ones that have given us the Word of God. Every book in the Bible, except possibly what was written by Luke, because there's some controversy on whether Luke was a Gentile or a Jew. There's some questions on that. If Luke was a Gentile, every book in the Bible except Luke and Acts was written by a Jewish person. If Luke is Jewish, every book in the Bible is written by Jewish people. The, the Bible that we have came to us by the Jewish people. The Messiah that we have, Jesus Christ, came to us by the Jewish people. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah to David all the way down till Jesus was born into this world. Jewish people. So we're going to see a huge change there when we get to that. Let's look, let's look at the rebellion. This is the first part. The rebellion of man, and then we'll get the background. Chapter 11. Now normally, as you know, we don't go this quick through a chapter, but when it's a bunch of names and things like that, we just want you to see how it fits together. When we start chapter 12, we'll get back to going like we were, going back verse by verse again, taking us our way through there. Chapter 11, look at verse 1. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. Now, you know what it literally says in Hebrew? It says, one lip, one word. That's what it says. The whole world, the whole earth had one lip, one word. That, what it means is they all spoke the same thing. They all spoke the same language. Uh, Noah and his sons naturally would speak the same language. That's what they died. So as it spread out, everybody spoke the same language. Some traveled east. Some descendants of Ham traveled through and went to Cush and down further. And uh, they, they went different ways. Now, notice what happened. It came about as they journeyed east. Now, here's some that are going east. And we'll see what they're going to do. They found a plain in the land of Sinar and settled there. Now, when people began to settle, they went to a plain called Sinar. Now, Sinar is in a region called Mesopotamia. You know what Mesopotamia re- means? It's, it's Greek. It means between the rivers. The Tigris-Euphrates River and those rivers. And some even say between the rivers Nile and the, and the Tigris-Euphrates. That's the Mesopotamian region. We know that when people talk about civilizations, and if you've studied and you go to school and they pull out the books and they say, we think that civilization started in Mesopotamia. Well, it did. That's, that's where Noah and them came from in that area. And they spread out in that direction. They journeyed east. They found this plain in the land of Sinar and settled there. Now, the plan was to spread out throughout the whole world. But they're not doing that. What we're finding is they all decided to go in a particular area. Now, this plain called Sinar, where Mesopotamia is, is modern-day Iraq. Uh, we might know about Iraq. I think we've been there for a while. And we're finding out a good bit about it. But what happens? Notice verse 3. They said to one another, Come, let us make brick and let's burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They decided to build something. Let's build something. 
Let's build for ourselves a city. It goes on to say, they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heavens. Let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the whole face of the earth. And what did they want to do? They said, let's make a city and let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build this tower. Why did they want to do that? They said, we want to make a name for ourselves. We don't want to be scattered over the face of the earth. What did God tell them to do? Go over the face of the earth. They said, we want to be famous. We want to make a name for ourselves. God told them to spread out. Now, you remember that Nimrod, what city did he go to? He went to Babel. We'll talk about it in just a minute. He went to Nineveh. Babel and Babylon are the same place. Babylon is there today, by the way. It's just south of Baghdad. Still there. People know where Babylon is. Babylon was the capital of the, uh, the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar. So they, they go to a place and they said, let's just build this big old tower. Let's build this big old city. We want to make a name for ourselves. You've heard of ziggurats. Ziggurats were towers that people did in false worship. They would build these towers that stretched way up. Usually they had these, it's kind of a zigzag way that they'd go up them. And they would think the higher you got up, the closer you could get to the gods. Not to the true God, but to gods. Because, and the higher you built the tower and that you were known as building it and you stood on top of that tower, then people would go, look at that guy on top of that tower. He's famous. And so they said, let's build a tower. Let's build a city. Let's make a name for ourselves. That's what it says. We want to become famous. The building of this tower is an act of human arrogance and rebellion against God. They were not supposed to do that. Casuto has written a commentary. He's a guy. He wrote a commentary on Genesis. It's really, really detailed. He said, their interest in self made them forget God's will, which was to fill the earth. So, in a sense, we see three, three problems here in their plans. There was the tower to heaven. They wanted to make the name for themselves, and they, they disobeyed God's word. Let's think about it. There was the tower to heaven. They wanted to be like God. We're going to go up to God. We're going to go up and do our own thing. They would have a shrine at the top. It was false worship. They wanted to have a name for themselves. And they, in fact, they said, let's make a name for ourselves to be famous. That's pride. I mean, you remember the original fall, Satan's five I wills. You remember the original fall of man, the fall of Satan, the fall of the angels was pride. The fall of mankind was pride because they wanted to be like God. Here we see the same issue over and over again. It's pride. And if, if, if you look at our hearts, every sin that we do ultimately goes back to the whole thing of pride. That's what it goes back to. Why would you lie? Well, because you don't want to look bad. You tell a lie because you don't want somebody to think you messed up or did something wrong. It's a pride issue. And it always is that way. The third thing was to disobey God's word. It was the command. It was the command was to spread out and fill the earth. And Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has gone what? Our own way. We always want to do our own thing. Man wants to do our own thing. We, we want to do that rather than what God wants. It's so amazing that since God is so perfect... And God is so smart, and God knows the end from the beginning, knows everything. He always wants the best. He does everything that's good. And yet we think we might want to do our life better than what He wants. And we say, I, I don't know what God wants, but I know what I want. Wouldn't it be the ideal thing to say, I think I'd like to do whatever God wants because He's the best. But that's not how we are. We do our own thing. The tower to heaven was false worship. The name for self was glory and pride. And the, doing this, building the city and everything was uh, was the rebellion. I want you to see the contrast 
Because they wanted to go up to God, but it was God who came down to man. It is God who so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. We see that man wants to name a name for himself, but it is God who gets the name. It is God who gets all the glory. Every aspect goes back to God. He is the Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, Provider, Protector. He is the compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loving kindness. He is the one that should be honored in all glory, not mankind. Whenever you are used by God, whenever by His grace, He allows you to do something, and somebody might say to you, thank you for doing that, what you could say is what? It's just the grace of God. It's just the grace of God. He gets all the glory. Everything we ever do, we can say it's the grace of God. If He allows you to lead someone to Christ, if He allows you to teach the Bible, if He allows you to do a Sunday school class, if He allows you to do any ministry anywhere, anytime, all you can say is it's the grace of God through me. He gets all the glory. It's always that way. And then the third thing is we see the rebellion. They disobey God's command, but God's Word is the key, and it is the basics for right and wrong, and it is to be obeyed. So realize, they wanted to go, they wanted to go, in a sense, to God to do their own thing, and He wanted to come to them. They wanted a name for themselves. What they really got was a bunch of babble. Right? When it's all over, that's what we're going to find. When man says, I'm going to do this for my glory, it ends up being absolutely nothing. They didn't want to scatter. Guess what's going to happen to them? He's going to scatter them. So the problem at Babel, false worship, glory to man, rebellion against God. Now, they're on this plane at Sinar, and they're they going to build this tower, and they're going to build this city. Look what happens. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. They're they building it. He came down to see. Now, I want you to understand something. God didn't go, I don't know what's happening. I better go check it out. That's not the way it is. He's using the picture of, of what they call anthropomorphism, using human characteristics to describe what God did. It's like God knows. He says, I'm going to go down and I'm going to deal with this. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they begin to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. What does he mean? He means that they can accomplish false worship and they can be in rebellion. It's not impossible for people to do that. In fact, that's what they are doing. Once again, the evil of man continues to increase. And you know, when we saw before the flood and we saw what man was like and how God described it, it made us pretty sad. We go, good gracious. And then we see the, after the flood, we see the same thing and we go, good gracious. And we look all the way through the scripture and we go, good gracious. And then we look at our own lives and our own culture and our own people and everything and we go, good gracious. Is it never going to change? Not until He changes us completely. Not until He makes a new heavens and a new earth. He'll have a He'll have a new Jerusalem. He'll have a, a, a change this earth, and He'll come down and set up a kingdom on this earth. But that won't be the ultimate change. He'll have to make a new heavens and a new earth, and we'll be changed people completely. Then we won't have to say, "Good gracious, look what we're like." It's powerful. So what's He going to do? Verse seven. Come, let us go down. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who's us? Who's us? That's the Trinity. It's all the way through the Bible. If you're in my Sunday school class, we're dealing with some cults, and we've been talking about them, and one of the cults that we looked at today does not hold to the Trinity. But when you look through the Scripture, it's everywhere. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says, Come, let us make man in our image. And in the beginning, God, plural, created the heavens and the earth, all the way through the Scripture. Here we see, let us go down. 
and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. People say, how do people talk all these different languages? Why, why don't people all say the same thing? In fact, if it's true that we all came from the same people, from Noah and his three sons, everybody should speak the same language. Well, we would have if this hadn't happened. And God says, I'm going to scatter them out. And how I'm going to scatter them out is I'm going to make them speak different languages. And pretty soon the guy's going to be standing there and he can't understand any of these people around him and he's going to have to go someplace and find people that he can understand. And they go, hey, you say the same thing I say. We're going to move over here. And we people, we, we said, we're going to move over here. He scatters them out by their languages. And notice what it says. Let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. They're going to confuse the language. There is this time when God scattered and confused man's language. We call it Babel. Now, you know, there's a time that he confused all the languages. There was a time that he fixed it where everybody could understand all the languages at one time. Anybody remember when that was? Day of Pentecost. The people heard because they, the, the, the 120 stood up and began to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And they were speaking in languages none of, that they had never learned. They were just speaking. And, and the Day of Pentecost, people going, I'm hearing that God talk in my language. It was amazing. So look what happened. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. And guess what they did? They stopped building the city. They stopped building that city at that time. What was the name of that city? Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Another name for Babel is Babylon, because Babylon, Babylon literally mean confusion. Throughout the scriptures, this city is always a picture of man's rebellion. This city is. Think about it. When Nebuchadnezzar became the world ruler, they had defeated the Assyrians and the Babylonians came to power and Nebuchadnezzar came to Babylon and built this city. And you remember what he said? He stood up and said, Look at this great city which I have built by my hands. Of course, if you read Daniel chapter 4, you'll see what happens to him there. He loses his mind. God gave him a warning and said, Your pride is going to destroy you. In fact, he sent Daniel to him and said, if you uh, keep thinking this way, you're not going to be able to think very much at all because you're going to have the mind of an animal and you're going to eat grass and your fingernails are going to grow and your hair is going to grow and you're going to be an animal. And Nebuchadnezzar said, thank you, but no thanks. I don't think you're accurate about that. And about a year later, when Nebuchadnezzar stood out and looked on his city walls and said, look at this great city that I have built, and God said, your time is up. And for about seven years, the best that we can tell from history, Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind and he thought he was an animal. And he ate grass. And the best that we can tell is Daniel protected him, took him, they kept him back. Most people probably did not know that Nebuchadnezzar thought he was an animal. He had taken this city and made it the greatest city in the world. There were the hanging gardens of Babylon. It was a city in which he had built in the end times. You realize, in the end times... When we get to the time of the, of the great tribulation, the Antichrist will come to power and he will make his headquarters in the city of Babylon. Same thing. 
always has the idea of rebellion. It is always a place of false worship. It is a place of false religion. It is a place of false government. And during the tribulation, that will be the government until the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes, Jesus Christ. Babylon is always symbolic of man's rebellion, his pride, and his false worship. And that's what we see right at the very beginning. The human race pursued their unity and their fame and was scattered across the earth. Now, I want to very quickly, just in the time we have remaining, very quickly, I want you to see the descendants of Shem because this is the key. This is where Abraham's going to come. Look at verse 10. These are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and he became the father and he lists the guy's name. This said happened two years after the flood and then it begins to list about him. And this, this is the Hebrew way of doing it. They list, the, they list all the people and then they come back and list the most important one and that's going to be Shem because the Jewish people are going to come through there. Look at verse 16. Eber, there he is, he's a descendant. Eber lived 34 years and he became the father of Peleg. You remember Peleg? Peleg lived at the time in which the world had been or become divided. Notice a little further down, verse 26. Or actually, I want you to, there's a guy in verse 24, a guy named Nahor, and he became the father of Terah. And then Terah became, verse 26, Terah lived 70 years and became the father of. Now notice who his children are, a man by the name of Terah. His children were Abram, Nahor, and Haran. That's his three sons. We immediately look at those and we say, now is that Abram? Is that Abraham? Yes, it is. Terah was his father. Nahor and Haran were his brothers. Now notice verse 27 because he gives us more details. These are the generations of the, uh, these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And then notice, and Haran became the father of Lot. The reason that Lot is mentioned, because when Abraham comes to the promised land, he brings Lot with him. It's his nephew. And Lot is famous later on. And so the Bible is telling us, okay, let me, let me make sure I give you the famous people, the people that you're going to hear about later. And he lists them right there. There's Abram, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. <clears throat> Here is a man listed, Abram, who is going to be most likely the most famous man in the world. All Christians look to him as the man of faith. Jews look to him as the father of their nation. Muslims look to him as the father of Ishmael, which, through whom it's Muhammad and all of that came. The, as some people have said, the three great religions of the world, and I do not count Christianity as a religion, but some do. The three great religions of the world came through this man right here, Abram. Notice verse 28. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in the Ur of the Chaldeans. Next week, I'm going to have a map for you because we're going to see where they leave. Ur the Chaldees, the best we can say is Ur was near where the Tigris-Euphrates River came together. It was uh, in the southern part of Iraq today. It would be where it would be. Ur was famous for worshiping the moon god. This is where they lived. God is going to choose one of these three sons. Now, one of them dies. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah. So there's two left. There's Abram and Nahor. God is going to choose one of those two boys. He's going to choose the man named Abram. Now, Abram means big daddy. It means high father. That's what it means. It means the big dad. We'd say big daddy. That's what his name meant. He did not have any children. We're going to see who he marries in a minute, but he didn't have any children. In fact, he didn't have any children until he was basically... 
uh, he didn't have the right child. He was 100 years old. Okay? God made a promise to him when he was 75 that he would have a son. It didn't happen until he was 100 years old. His name means Big Daddy. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, father of the nations, the many nations. That's who he's going to be. That's who the man we see there. Let's get a little background. Verse 29, Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcan, the daughter of Haran, Haran, the father of Milcah and Ixia. Now, here's what we see. We say Abram, and we got it right here, I think. Uh, do you know Abram? Or a- it's got Abraham. It should be Abram means high father, means big daddy. Now, the name Sarai means nagger. I want you to understand that a lot of times in that culture, people might not necessarily, they might be named at birth, but as their life progressed, sometimes their names were changed to fit their personalities. What do you think about Sarai? That's her name. She's the nagger. Now notice what we find out. Sarai was barren. That's maybe why she was nagging all the time. She had no child. And in that culture, in that day, if you didn't have children, it was an embarrassment. If you didn't have children, you weren't blessed by God. So we're seeing Abram and Sarai. And notice. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran, that's another town, and settled there. Now, if you read this, until you get to chapter 12, and until you get to the book of Acts, you don't know all of the truth. If you just read this, you think that Terah said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to move, and we're going to move up to Haran, because the plan is for us to go to the land of Canaan. That's what it looks like, but that's not accurate, because when you get to chapter 12, the next chapter, you find that it is God who comes to Abram and says to Abram, I want you to leave this land and your family and go to a land I'm going to show you and give you. But Abram did not obey God. He took his father, Terah, and the others, and they went to Haran, and they stayed there. Until his father died, and then Abram left to come to the promised land. You find that in Genesis 12, and you find it in the book of Acts. So if you only read the end of chapter 11, you think this is all Terah's idea, but it wasn't. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, Abram's wife, and they went... Uh, out together from the early Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. They went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years. He died in Haran. After he died, Abram left with his wife and his nephew and came to the promised land. He obeyed God then. It's powerful. And next week we see what we call the Abrahamic covenant. It is the most important covenant in the Bible. And we'll see how it fits together. God has already appeared to Abram, and we'll see it in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Well, what have we been seeing? We've been seeing the spread of the nations, the three sons of Noah. We've seen Ham and Nimrod and Nineveh and Babylon and the rebellion and the Tower of Babel and the confusion of the languages and the background on Abraham. 
as he's getting ready to go to the promised land. So we've seen all of that, get the background. It's going to really come to a head when we get to chapter 12. Now let me give you some applications, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper. The first application is that God judges man's rebellion. It's always that way. Whether it's the Tower of Babel, God judges and scattered them. Whether it's sin, man's rebellion, he placed it on Jesus Christ. I want you to realize that God always deals with sin. And the greatest thing that he ever did with sin was for us. Because he placed our sin on Jesus Christ. Three things that you think about there. First of all, in the tower. Think about, we do the same thing. They had a tower, but we do the same thing. It's false worship. We want to do our own thing. We worship man. Man is the sinner. We want to make a name for ourselves. It's pride. It's always that way. We'd rather have glory than giving glory to God. Uh, even sometimes Christians, when they build buildings, one of the things they want to do sometimes is put their name on it. They want to get the glory. Sometimes that happens. Not saying it's a bad thing necessarily to do all that. That's just that's up between them and God. But sometimes the issue is their name and their pride. I read this the other day. Make sure it's God's trumpet that you're blowing. Because if it's your trumpet, it won't wake the dead. It'll just disturb the neighbors. You know. The third thing is they disobeyed God. And that's what happens today. Well, I'm sorry, go back. Disobey God. And that's man would, would almost always rather do our own will than God's will. That's just the way it is. Unless we're controlled by the Holy Spirit as a believer, unless we've been born again and we have God inside of us, if we live by the flesh, which is what we have, we will do what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. God in His plan has judged sin. He has sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. Take sin upon Himself. We saw it this morning. It's a powerful passage in Luke where Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken Him? Because He has taken the sin of mankind upon Himself. Those who do not receive the gift of eternal life, which comes simply by faith, will be separated from God in the lake of fire. That's what the Bible teaches God deals with sin, specifically in this passage, the Tower of Babel, as he spread them out. Second just thing, just to think about, the unity of man is only possible in the church. And let me, let me explain what I mean. When mankind and unity and one world government and all that, it cannot work. cannot work now. God's plan is to keep people scattered. Even during the tribulation, they're scattered. Only when the King of kings and the Lord of lords comes, Jesus Christ, when he comes to this earth and sets up a kingdom, that's the only time it's possible. Now... There is a way that we can have unity today among people, and that is in the church, the body of Christ, when we come together because he's placed us in unity with each other. And here's what he says we do. This is how we can do it. We can love one another and forgive one another and build up one another and pray for one another and bear one another's burdens and serve one another. There's 50-something places in the New Testament that we call the one-anothers. And there are all these places like forgive one another, build up one another, pray for one another, love one another. They're all over the place. If we do that, if we do the one another's, there will be unity in the body of Christ. And the only way you can have a unity today is in the body of Christ as believers in the power of the Holy Spirit. Love one another, serve one another, build up one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, serve one another. That's the only way it will happen. May the world see the love and the unity that is only possible in Jesus Christ. And may we realize that one day God's going to judge the world in Jesus Christ. All who have believed in Him will have eternal life or have eternal life and be with Him forever. Well, we're going to, next time we're going to get into maybe the most important chapter, as some say, in the Old Testament. I say one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible, in fact in the whole world, because this sets up God's covenant with His people, Israel, and we benefit 
from that covenant. Let's pray, and then we'll observe the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, what a great, great night. Thank you for these truths as we look at chapter 11 and 12 and how it all fits together. And Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who deals with sin and that you have placed it on Jesus Christ. And for all of us who have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we know that Jesus died in our place, paid for our sins, and whoever believes in him has eternal life. Thank you, Lord. And thank you that we who trust in Jesus Christ were placed into the body of Christ and we can have that unity that the good unity, not unity that's prideful and wants to be honored and glorified, but the unity that comes when we love one another and humility put others first and bring all the honor and the glory to Jesus Christ. May we do that, Lord. Thank you for the passage. Most of all, thank you for Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.